You're listening to an M Pavilion podcast, conversations about design and the world we live in. For more, visit our archive at library.mpavilion.org and subscribe wherever you find your podcasts. Hello, good evening, folks, and welcome to the M Pavilion on this lovely dusk evening. Someone told me to forecast for rain. Apparently the rain didn't know, which is nice. Really glad to see you all here this week. I know last week some of you might have wanted to attend this first climate emergency cinema event. And unfortunately, it was canceled due to the climate emergency. Really ironic. So it's really nice to be breathing clean air with you all here tonight. And we're going to be doing a short panel discussion, which is actually being recorded live for a podcast. Very exciting. And then at 8.30 on the dot, I'll be wrapped up, I swear. And we'll all be going over there to watch the panel being uh, projected on the wall, uh, powered by bicycles. All very exciting. I'm sure that's why most of you are here. So without further ado, we'll get started. My name is Mark Spencer, and I've got the privilege tonight of starting with an acknowledgement of country. And as you can hear, I'm not from around here, so I take that responsibility, that uh, privilege as, as a pleasure and also as kind of a uh, weight on conscious a little bit. Um, this is not my land, but I'm still here on the land of people who it was taken from. So I'd just like to acknowledge that this, these are the ancestral, traditional, stolen lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, which we have wrecked. And I would like to pay respects to any elders who are here, past, present, or emerging. And we really need to listen to you going forward if we're going to fix this. So I like to do something a little different with those acknowledgments, and thank you for bearing with me. Uh, to introduce my guests down the end, we have Sophie. Sophie is from Greenfleet. We're going to quickly just sell names and where they're from, and then we're going to hear a little bit about each of the places. So we have Sophie from Greenfleet. We have Kylie from of Kin. We have Vanessa from Beyond Zero Emissions. And we have Luke from, well, many things. But the Sustainable Living Festival, the Climate Emergency Summit, Breakthrough. You'll hear more about that in just a second. That's enough. You don't want to hear the rest. Back to you, Sophie. Can you tell us a little bit about Greenfleet? What, what is it? So I have recently, well, in the past um, eight months, been working for a really wonderful company called Greenfleet. Uh, Greenfleet is a not-for-profit not environmental agency who plant native biodiverse trees in exchange for people's carbon emissions. They have been... Uh, doing what they've been doing for 22 years and they have so far planted 9.2 million native trees, grown 500 native forests and sequestered 3.2 million tons of carbon dioxide. But so what do you do on weekends? <laughs> dream, amazing. dream about planting trees. <laughs> Very good. Thank you, Sophie. Kylie, where are you from? Uh, thanks, Mark. Um, I'm from Ovkin, but I also have another acknowledgement that I'd like to make. So I run a leadership education consultancy business, and I also start all my um, presentations with an acknowledgement to country, but also a commitment to climate. Um, so I'd like to do that and share that with you now, if that's okay. So I'd like to acknowledge that we're in the sixth mass extinction and contributing to human-caused climate breakdown. I ask you to join me in acting for the home we all share by reducing your carbon footprint via the way 
way you source your energy, travel, eat, dress, deal with waste and spend your money and time. And I ask this for present and future generations. And I also call on all decision makers, companies and all levels of society to implement the ambitious policies and practices which prevent the harmful effects of climate change and to secure the living conditions of all things as promised in the Paris Climate Change Agreement and outlined in the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. So in addition to um, running a leadership consultancy company and more and more with the education work that I do, I'm infusing um, climate leadership at every level of organisation that I get a chance to get in and work with. I'm also a climate reality leader and was trained with Mark um, with Al Gore in Brisbane in June last year. That's right. <laughs> You've dobbed me in. Now I am expected to know more than I do. Excellent. And you, Vanessa? I work for Beyond Zero Emissions. So we're a climate solutions think tank. We show how Australians can reach beyond zero emissions um, through research and innovative solutions. And something that I think is wildly unique about us um, is that we're powered by volunteers. So I have a small smart staff base, but the majority of people that are doing this research and helping us create these strategies are all volunteers or pro bono experts. So. Last year we tallied it all up and we had more than 10,000 hours of volunteers um, working with us to do that and to you know, reach out to the community and share, and share the solutions. So yeah, we're, I think um, we're a pretty great organisation and very much needed. Absolutely, and it is a phenomenal organisation. We're very lucky to have you here tonight on a panel about climate solutions. I think you're, you're definitely the, the expert in the room. It's not really much of a room, probably in the city, you know, it's like <laughs> of the surrounds. Luke, what's your story? What's my story? Uh, my story is I work for an organisation called the Sustainable Living Foundation, as you mentioned. We're a, another non-for-profit organisation that's been around for 20 years now. We, our primary mission is to accelerate the uptake of sustainability. Um, I also work for another organisation, as you mentioned, uh, which is Breakthrough, the National Centre for Climate Restoration. And that organisation is really about taking on the mission of a safe climate restoration. So we currently know at the moment that we're well outside a safe zone and uh, our organisation is about really exploring what would it take to get back to safe climate conditions. Very good. So as you can see, uh, we have an amazing panel before you tonight and it's my job now to kind of get out of the way between you and them as much as possible, which doesn't mean I'll be throwing open the floor to questions. Um, instead, I'm going to do my best to kind of channel the questions I think you want to know. Uh, it's kind of what I do on my podcast quite a bit, and we do the occasional roundtable, which tend to go quite well. Not as often with a live audience, so this is quite fun and something different. But we're going to be talking tonight about climate solutions and how do we get out of this climate crisis that we're in. Um, this event is a nice kind of prelude into the film, which itself is a good prelude into the Transitions Film Festival, which if you don't know about it, I was just asked by the organizer to mention it quickly here at the beginning. Um, it's rare you get a festival that's about the future that's all about a positive future. And it's actually probably getting harder and harder to put on every year. It's harder to find positive films. But they do it, and they've found a bunch, an amazing slate of films starting February, and I should know the dates. Look up Transitions Film Festival. It'll be right there with all the information you need to know. But thanks to them for helping us put on this event, and otherwise we wouldn't be here tonight with this amazing panel for you. So to kick things off, you know, we're, we're out here in public. Anyone can just wander up and take part in this and sit down. So we can assume, hopefully, we're not just in the bubble. Maybe we are. I recognize a few friendly faces. But let's say we're not. And let's start at 
okay, I've heard of climate change. It's really hard not to. Maybe I accept it. Maybe I don't. Maybe I take it seriously. Maybe I don't. But you're saying there's a problem. Okay, how do we solve it? That's what we're going to try to piece apart and, and tear into a little bit tonight with the proviso that, oh my God, there's only 18 minutes left. Um, let's start. Let me ask you a question, which is a good way to start. Scott Morrison's recently been saying that the way we're going to do this is we're going to adapt to climate change. We are, you know, this is just going to be the way things are now, and things are going to keep getting worse, but we'll, we'll, we'll be fine. We'll, we'll get used to it. We're tough. Is that a climate solution in your way of thinking, or how does that illustrate the gap on the way to being a climate solution? Big question. Well, that's the biggest Dorothy Dixer I've ever heard. Clearly... It's, yeah, it's, it's clearly not a solution, um, but let's, uh, let's take a step to the side from climate and what we are all experiencing and seeing um, at the moment. And let's consider the economy and jobs. The global economy is transitioning to a zero carbon economy. Institutional investors uh, see that it's a risk to be invested in climate. They're asking the biggest emitters, what are you doing? What are your emissions? How are you getting out of it? They're putting their money into low and zero carbon. Over 600 global corporations have committed to science-based targets and they're rolling them out. And not just for their business, like IKEA is um, is rolling that out right across their supply chain. And this is really transformational stuff. We've got loads of sun and wind, it's high quality, it's competitive, we've got skilled people, we've got all the ingredients to be a leader in a zero carbon economy. And we're going to miss out um, from a financial and economic perspective if we don't get a move on. And, and as, as I said, that's just a step away from what we're seeing with climate and what Luke will take us through that, you know, particularly things we need to do to protect ourselves and each other. Thanks, Vanessa. Uh, I guess the, the adaptation question, I think, is a, like a really critical question at the moment because what we're, what we're seeing is under 1.5 degrees, we're already seeing the beginning of ecological, major ecological collapse, and we've just witnessed that through the last um, number of weeks. So there's, there's going to be this temptation for... Uh, for policy to really focus on adaptation because we've got the emergency now. We're living in the emergency. It's playing out, the very beginning of it. But the problem is that we can't keep adapting to an ever-worsening situation. I mean, you can keep adapting to an ever-worsening situation up to a point, the point where there is nothing left to adapt to. And so that's what we've really got to, I think, get hold of here is that the, the pathways that we've got forward is you can keep on the adaptation as Scott Morrison wants to wants to try and fool everyone with, um, and you can do that. But you'll just get a worse and worse situation playing out, and the world's going to look incredibly bleak. Or you can do something, but not enough in relation to climate action, um, and we're seeing a number of targets around, and even you know the Paris commitments, for example, are putting a 1.5 degree and a two degree. You know, goal out there, and we're already seeing it under 1.5 right now that it's unsafe. So those targets are now questionable. We're at we're at a point now in Australia where we can question those targets, and we bloody well should be because they're not safe. So then the question comes over to to back to Vanessa to say, here's an organisation that's worked out a plan for us to go to zero carbon. We need a a, a below zero emission 
future and economy because we know that even if we just stop emissions tomorrow, there's still enough carbon in the atmosphere already to play out for 1.5 and 2 degrees. So we've got to get that, that carbon down. What's gone up? It's got to come down. So we need mass innovation as well, not only in the zero emission technology, which Vanessa's just said, it's there. If you wanted to get on the phone tomorrow and ring around and get this stuff happening, you could do it because there are people out there now that can do it. And it's the same with the, the, uh, the drawdown. There's some very early signs that we can get on with the drawdown, but we need a lot more innovation in that space. And again, you know, I mean, we're capable of doing this stuff. We've seen it in human history before. Look at the Manhattan Project. There's, there's heaps of projects in our, and, and situations and examples in our human history. We can do big stuff when we realise there's a big enough threat. And if there's not enough big enough threat now, I don't know where there is. That's true. What are, what are we waiting for at this point? Uh, we don't need to just wait for the high tech, though. We have this amazing carbon sequestering, car carbon sucking technology already. You'll have seen all these memes going around Facebook of just like, we've got high tech technologies to solve this. They're called trees. Let's plant some more trees. Luckily, we've got an expert on the panel who knows all about the planting of trees. And we could have gone back to Vanessa really easily, but if you wanted to see conversational tennis, you can just go down there for a bit of that. Um, but this will be a longer chat, definitely, to be had. Um, about tree planting, and we've talked a little bit about adaptation as promoted by SCOMO, but we also need a lot of mitigation and we need sequestration. Now, Greenfleet kind of ticks those boxes, but would you, would you call what Greenfleet does a solution? I would call it a very good solution, one of many very good and important solutions. Um, I guess that the, the point that Luke was making is that there is going to be a point where we're not going to be able to adapt, continue to adapt to an environment that doesn't support our life. So the best way that we have, the best scalable means that we have to sequester atmospheric carbon, which is the only way to reverse the effects of climate change, is to plant trees. And now on that note, and the, the note of distinction that Greenfleet makes is that we need to plant native trees. And not only do we plant native trees, but we plant native biodiverse trees in an attempt to recreate the ecosystems that we have very successfully <laughs> destroyed en masse. So it's, it's obviously very dire times. We're obviously really feeling the heat of our beloved ecosystems that have informed the way that we are, that, that provide all of the, all of the materials and um, elements that we need to survive, and we're seeing them be very seriously under threat. And uh, I think that it's a really beautiful way to, to reconnect with our, our place in the ecosystem is by, by paying it forward into the ecosystem that that allows us to survive by planting the trees. So by its current business model, Greenfleet, you, by paying to offset the emissions you're currently producing, is kind of balancing out. But I assume that if tomorrow we all stopped driving cars but kept giving Greenfleet money, you wouldn't stop planting trees. So this can be a method whereby we are mitigating and sequestering. Yeah, I guess it's a step-by-step it's a -step process. So at the moment, we provide offsets for people. So you can offset your vehicle, you can offset your flights. We've also come out with a new product this year called the Carbon Cover 365, which is the first annual offset that we've put forward. So this offset uh, frames 
our, our re a responsible citizen uh, purchase. So not only does it incorporate our individual emissions being our car and um, a domestic flight and our electri electricity, but it also takes into account the fact that we live in an, in an economy that emits an incredible amount of carbon. And by virtue of, of being privileged enough to be in this place and to, to benefit from everything that this place has to offer, that this healthy e um, economy has to offer, we also have a responsibility in acknowledging the emissions that are inherent in the systems that we live in. So this, this carbon cover is the first of its kind to start to move beyond the individual and start to acknowledge the systemic impacts and, and not wait for our government to acknowledge them. Absolutely. So we're taking into effect the, the embodied carbon costs of being a citizen or a resident of Australia. That, that's huge. Kylie, um, we touched on briefly there the individual role of playing a part in the solution of the climate crisis. We've talked a lot here about sort of the systems level. I'm just curious if you can speak a little bit to the tension between those two. Of like, how much you know, should you and the audience be feeling like, okay, I can do something about the climate crisis, but I know that it's not all on us, that there is these 100 companies that have produced 80 plus percent of the carbon, and I, I'm not the numbers person, that's these two. So if that's all wrong, that's on me. But Kylie, do, can you speak to kind of, you know, with, with your hats, um, what should you let yourself off the hook for and what shouldn't you? Mm, I think that's a really tricky question. It comes down to where, where you're at. I think the first thing is, a, is about uh, having a conversation with people about what's actually happening and communicating, you know, the seriousness of the situation that we're in and why we're here and what is contributing to do, to, to, to do that. Then also find out what can you do right now um, that that you can do very easily. So one of the things that I started um, actually on my Instagram account early this year was um, climate resolutions. And I have a little Instagram highlight. And you know, just telling people, hey, do you know that you can switch your money to a bank that doesn't invest in fossil fuels? You know, you can switch your superannuation to a fund that doesn't fossil, um, invest in fossil fuels. Do you know that you can switch your energy company to one that sources from renewable energies? And just putting that on my Instagram feed and letting people know and providing links to where they can find information about that. So Market Forces has a fantastic website where you can go and compare all those funds. Um, and people like, I didn't even know that I could do that. So people are keen and willing and wanting and hungry for more information. Um, I think we need to be able to start having conversations and meeting people where they're at um, and showing them way of what they could be doing. And I think, you know, one of the silver linings to the horrific disaster we've found ourselves in is that it's really woken, woken people up um, who were perhaps sitting on the fence or, you know, weren't quite sure or didn't know where to start or thought, oh, I'll get to that eventually. You know, it's almost like it happening on our holiday period was like, I've got time to, to look up that website, fill out that form and make that change straight away. Um, as far as the individual versus the system things go, we know that it's a both. The answer is both. Um, but systems are just made up of individuals. So we need to have, you know, consciously climate aware individuals in those systems with the courage to speak up in the forums mm -hmm. that they have influence in. So even if it's just having a staff meeting at lunchtime about with, you know, with your fellow colleagues who are interested in having this conversation, find out other people in the organisation and start having the conversations there and use the, you know, the circles of influence that you have. That's really good. So being a conduit for information, the right information to people at the right time when, when they're actually looking for it. Yeah. So excuse the terrible metaphor, it just popped into my mind, which means it's probably going to be bad. But we've seen a lot in the last year of Extinction Rebellion being a thing, of street protest, and you've kind of got this 
this fire hose of information we're firing at people in the face whether they want it or not. And instead, if we can all just be taps. And then when people come to us and they want to know a bit more and they, they hold out their cup, we give them as much information as they can hold and then we let them go away and digest that. Then come back for more when you're ready. Um, it might have been terrible. I'll have to know when I listen back. <laughs> We've had a, a couple, is it this or that question so far? Is it the individual or is it the system? And yeah, so the answers have all been kind of shades of gray and, and a bit of both. But what we don't have on this panel is an activist. And I'm kind of just thinking about that in hindsight of like, you know, we've got a member of a, a nonprofit, for-profit, nonprofit, for-profit, nonprofit, but we don't have someone who is every weekend out there at street protests. We probably do. Oh, I, don't, I don't know what you're doing on the weekend, Vanessa, but I know what I'm doing. Yeah, and, and also, okay, we do. I, can I, like, I've got a different point of view, and as long as we still think of the climate movement an activist as being the person that you just described, we're not gonna shift this. So being an activist can also be a public servant in the economic development department that puts themselves on the line to push something different to get great policy that supports ambitious climate. It's like someone working in a corporation that is willing to put themselves on the line again and again and again to push something. You know, it's the person who works at the bank that's, or, you know, it gets called, oh, you know, Joe's a loose cannon. It's those people and the emotional burden, like, you know, of putting yourself on the line in uh, to mainstream it. Like, that's being an activist as well and we need those activists. And I'd like to think that we're all on that spectrum. Yeah. Absolutely. And you're an activist as well, yeah. Mark. See, I, I've been called that, and I'm really uncomfortable with it because I don't, I don't feel like I am. So the, the, the question that you answered beautifully was going to be like, but, but should we have an activist on the panel? But you're right, we've reached that point of maturity in the space that, that by being a rabble-rouser or a question-asker, yes, a squeaky wheel. Um, so, yeah, I guess... But I guess, you're, I guess you're pursuing a cause. I mean, I, I might be wrong, but that's what I see in what you're doing. I'm, I'm picking up on Vanessa's point, I think... You know the the local government activism we're seeing is 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 more progressive than what we're seeing in parts of the environment movement at the moment. It's extraordinary. We have for the very first time over a thousand governments worldwide that have declared a climate emergency. Now the debate has been raging in the climate movement of whether we could or couldn't use the emergency language, and thanks to local government activism. We now f have freed ourselves up and we can now talk openly in the, in the climate and the environment movement. We can use that word and that phrasing. Now, that, that's extraordinary. I mean, if you had have gone back even 12 months ago or a year and a half ago and said, you know, do you think it's possible that over a thousand governments and the Pope, should I imagine as well, are going to declare a climate emergency, within the environment space, we would have been all laughed uh, off. And yet now, just just in the space of 12 months to a year and a half, we're all now talking for the first time, nations have declared a climate emergency. Now, I know there might be some scepticism about what that actually means, but there's follow-on that's happening. You know, Scotland in the last 12 months have, have issued out now an emergency, a climate emergency plan. Now, again, some people might pick holes in it, but it's pretty damn impressive and pretty progressive in, 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 in many circles. Um, we're now seeing you know, local governments here in Australia. There's over, over 80 governments here in Australia that have declared a climate emergency and are committing to do advocacy up to the state and federal levels and also working out what the hell it means at a local government level to respond to the climate emergency but act. 
So I think I think Vanessa's absolutely right. This this word activism in the climate space. I mean, if we're going to get a super majority of people, and the, the, the only way that we're going to get the kind of government that we need to do the kind of level of transition that we need, is if we've got a super majority of, of support. Now that means that a large bulk of us, and certainly, you know, that the progressive movement here tonight, and and uh, sorry if there's all beautiful, all beautiful people means that we've got to ramp it up and we've got to get out there and we've got to take this climate emergency message right out there and we've got to be activists in, in all our spheres of work. Oh, very well said. I, I think, you know, here we are, we're on the 21st of January already, three weeks into the new year, and it has been a shitty start to the year. Um, a lot of us probably felt like the momentum we had going into the end of last year has kind of stalled out and kind of sputtered out and been set on fire. But I think what I've taken away a lot from just, just this brief conversation is that a lot of pieces are in play and a lot of things are moving. And there are a lot of ways all of us can get involved and in, and in a mix of system and individual and in the way we think about ourselves and frame ourselves and in little things we can do every day like offsetting our emissions so we're actually walking the walk ourselves and how we think about things and, and how we can educate others around us. Um, just quickly, uh, we literally have one minute left. Um, there is coming up the Climate Emergency Summit, uh, which is going to be part of the Sustainable Living Festival. And, and before I just let Luke just quickly spruik that and tell us what it is, what, what does it mean to us just quickly? Like, how are we feeling at the start of 2020? A lot of places have declared a climate emergency. It feels like this is the year. It's, we're ramped up. How, how are we feeling? It's just a quick cross-section of the community, the three of you. I, I feel like it's the paradox. It's the paradox of the um, mass destruction that we have and the ecological grief that comes with that. Climate grief is a real thing. Um, but I also feel really energised. I actually... This is the imp most important decade for humanity that we have just started. And if this isn't a clarion call for what needs to happen, I don't know what is. Um, and if, if, if this doesn't shake us out of the funk, the political funk that we have found ourselves in, um, and I really hope that we don't forget about what we've experienced in another two and a half years when we go back to the polling blues. I don't know what it is. So I actually feel, I, I, it's the paradox of both the heavy grief and at the same time it's like, I just want to get out there and make things happen. Yeah, I, I can relate to the feeling of the heavy grief. I spent a lot of my summer break absolutely devastated. And it took, and it still takes a lot to move through it. But I think, as cliche as it sounds, the really, truly beautiful and the only hopeful thing to come away from it all is to see the small acts of humanity being shared from person to person and this has to be a, a collective approach to something that we all really want because we're going to have to make sacrifices along the way and I, I think that experiencing the connection again finally between from person to person and moving towards something that we, we know we desperately need I think that that's, that's really the hope that I'm taking out of it. Vanessa, how, how do you feel? That, you know, you're used to working at systems level and a macro scale. And a, how are you feeling personally? Uh, I feel pretty, pretty scared. I've got a five-year-old. You know, I'm just one person with a five-year-old. So 
and pretty Thank devastated that, that what I was that studying 25 years ago and in the you know I've been around for more than 40 years and in in the 40 years that I've been around we've done the worst damage to you know biodiversity species and climate but how I'm feeling because I'm an engineer and I'm task orientated I am determined I know what I need to do we should all be engineers that's tell your kids be an engineer all right Luke so we've got you know, people are pumped. People want to take part in the climate emergency mobilization, make it mean something more than the words, which the words alone have, have buoyed people a lot, and it's really encouraging. But yeah, what does it mean? And that's what you're here to, to tell us. Well, yeah, well, I, I guess you wanted me to, to plug this. Uh, so some of you might know the Sustainable Living Festival um, that we hold each year, the month of February, a whole range of events. A lot of events are happening here with partnership with M Pavilion, which is great. Um, so we've, we're actually launching the festival here at M Pavilion and uh, it's a whole month of activities, events of all different shapes and sizes so we really encourage you to check out the website slf.org.au for all the events and activities that are happening. Some of you might know that as part of that we normally do over the river here we do uh, the big weekend um, which is a big showcase each year. We've decided though to suspend normal programming this year so we've cancelled the big weekend, the party's over, and the idea is that we're going into the Melbourne Town Hall for a critical conversation, which is the National Climate Emergency Summit. So we've got people coming from expertise, coming from all across the country. There'll be local government representatives, there'll be Indigenous representatives from across the country, some mob coming from uh, Torres Strait Islanders to tell us what they're facing up there. Um, engineers, a lot of engineers, of course, will be there, which is great. Um, lots of people talking about, you know, the, the, the capacity that we have in Australia for drawdown and zero emissions, etc. So it's an all-in, and uh, it's happening on the 14th and 15th of February. Um, that's our big event, festival event of the year. So, yeah, so tickets are selling fast. It looks like we're going to fill the hall. Um, so around 2,000 people would be packed, I think, jam-packed in the town hall, and that's going to send a really great message to the city and the rest of Australia as well. Amazing. I can't wait. I look forward to it every year. It's, it's like Christmas for the sustainability community. It's amazing. Uh, it's, it's sad to hear that Christmas has been cancelled this year, but that's just a big weekend. So we'll all be packing in for some you know, engineering chat instead. It'll be good. Um, I'm really excited. It doesn't sound like it. I'm, t I'm not, ready to watch not the film. just engineering chat. That's I'm, right. I'm not offended because I, I have no emotional feelings as an engineer. <laughs> just kidding. If you want to hear this again and laugh at how badly I put my foot in my mouth just then, uh, this recording of tonight will be released as a podcast on Climactic.fm, which is a podcast collective based in Melbourne. Bleh, Melbourne. It's to tape. I can cut that out. Based in Melbourne, but we're also in Sydney and Brisbane, and we interview people from all walks of the sustainability community, of the, the climate community, and aim to have relatable stories for, you know, when that person does come to you and they want to know more about something, we can give them someone relatable and they can actually get a lot of themselves in hearing from, yes, words. Uh, so let's watch a film now. That sounds fun. Um, and there's one final thing. Please, let's let's hear more about this amazing bike-powered cinema. Hello, everyone. Thanks for coming. Um, so tonight's cinema is going to be pedal-powered. Um, we've got four bikes um, at the back there with dynamos on them, creating direct uh, current electricity, um, which is being sent to a, our power station, which is converting that to AC, 
being stored in a battery and powering tonight. So um, we basically need your help to make sure it, it, it keeps running. Um, it's not guaranteed that it's going to run for the entirety um, of the screening. We're hoping it is. Um, if it does stop, um, we do have a lithium backup. Um, it will just take five minutes to switch over. Um, and we would really appreciate your help. So we're taking um, basically names for 15-minute intervals um, for pedaling to, to keep the system going. So if you come and see us at the back there, we can put your name down um, at a particular time. Um, and you can come back and, and power the system for us. But um, And also, if you want more information, we've got some information sheets that you can have a read um, and more detail about how it actually works. So, yeah. Um, so the idea... Yeah, that's a good question. So the idea is to keep a, a nice and steady pace. Um, there are monitors on each bike telling you how much ge um, you're actually generating. So we want to keep it basically below 15 volts um, and, so, and above 12. So sort of 12 to 15 volts. 12 is optimum, um, but let's not go over 15 because that could um, cause a bit of trouble with blown fuses and whatnot. Um, so yeah. So um, let's know the you, difficulty curve. I, I've done it successfully. So if you look like me, you can do it. You're fine. Yeah. So yeah. the idea is not to pedal fast, it's just to keep it nice and steady, watch the monitor and keep it between twelve to fifteen volts. Thanks. So let's go watch a film. Let's go power a film. Have a great night. Thank you for very much for coming out. Can I get a round of applause for my guests, please? You are listening to an M Pavilion podcast. Conversations about design and the world we live in. For more visit our archive at library.mpavilion.org and subscribe wherever you find your podcasts.